0: When a loved one dies, we can hear somebody say, well, I know he or she is with me. Well, I, they may not be here anymore, but I know that they are with me. And even Christians f- can fall into this idea of when somebody dies, well, they're, they're watching over me. You know, they're, they're looking out for me. And I would argue that this is not a biblical concept and even, even going so far as to say when, when somebody dies, the comfort that is provided to them by the world, by what they see, the credit is given to the dead person rather than God. For example, if somebody dies and they really enjoyed sunsets and somebody's hurting and they go out and they see a beautiful sunset and they're like, well, that's just proof right there that so-and-so is looking out for me and watching over me right there. They sent a sunset. To comfort me. So the credit is given to the person who can't send sunsets rather than the one who designed and painted such a beautiful thing, which is God, the only one who can truly comfort us in times of loss. Uh, Around this time of year, too, the uh, Twitter world of, of Christianity blows up with a focus on Mary in the Roman Catholic Church because of Christmas and the virgin and that's very important it's a very important doctrine and we'll get into that a little bit later on why that's important but the elevation of Mary in the Roman Catholic Church to a place where she does not belong or the saints but it's this same t- sort of idea that that Mary watches over us we pray to Mary she intercedes for us she's the co-mediatrix Ignoring the parts in the Bible that says there is but one intercessor. There is only one who mediates between us and the Father, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But instead, it, it gets into this worldly idea, an and almost pagan idea, of the dead watching over us and, and being with us. There are even uh, rituals, rituals within pagan religion of doing things to honor the dead so that they might be blessed. And this is not a biblical concept in any way, shape, or form. In fact, the opposite is true. If we look at David, after his sin with Bathsheba, after the baby was born, the baby was, was sick, and David fasted for, for days and weeks, and, and eventually the baby died, and it says this, "'Then his servant said to him, "'What is this thing that you have done? "'You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive.'" But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. The dead will not return to us but we will go to them eventually. David didn't say, well, I know my child is with me. I know he's looking out for me. No. He says, I will not go, or he will not come to me, but I will go to him. And I'm not saying you don't grieve loss or treasure the moments that you've had with your loved ones. But for a Christian to die, it is to gain Christ. There is no concern with what's going on down here to the person who is in the presence of their Savior, who looks upon his face. Mary, I believe, would be appalled and brokenhearted if she was able to know and see how she was abused down here and and how she was lifted and elevated to a position that she does not belong, to a position where only Christ belongs. And so when we come to The Christmas season, and we come and we sing Emmanuel, God with us. We're not talking about some random, famous, dead person who we honor and look to, but we are talking about the true and the living God who is not dead but is alive. God is with us. Now, there are plenty of times throughout Scripture where we see the reality that God is with us. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once all the time. We see God in the garden with Adam and Eve walking through the garden. Enoch walked with God and then was not, for God took him. Noah communed and walked with God. Abraham was in the presence of God. Joseph, God was with him and made him successful in all he did when he was in prison and in Egypt and under the Pharaoh's command. And then Moses, Moses, the burning bush, the presence of God in the bush. And then Moses even said, can I see you? And God says, well, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll walk by. But you cannot look at me, for no one can look at me and live. And then we had the symbolic presence of God with his people in the Ark of the Covenant. So God is always with us in, in, in the sense of his, his character and his nature and his attributes. But the idea that we're talking about today of Emmanuel, God with us, is unique and set apart. It sets him apart from the rest of the false gods and the pagan worship of the world. Because no other god entered into their own creation out of love for the people to take on their sins, to die for their sins, so that they might be saved. But God, out of love, condescended himself in order to be with us, in order to be the perfect sacrifice for sins. And we're told um, in this Isaiah passage, he says, he will be called Emmanuel, and we're told who the identity of this Emmanuel is. If you turn to Matthew chapter 1, Starting in verse 20, we read this. But as he considered these things, this is Joseph, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The identity of Emmanuel is the Messiah. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I think we can be so restricted sometimes about what we can actually see. Now Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. We don't see Him right here in front of us, as I see all of you. And so I think sometimes we can we can push Christ aside and say, "Well, yeah, I know He's with us, but I I can't see Him." And so uh, you know, we're we're gonna just deal with that. And it can cause us to have some false views. And I think it can actually bring down. Uh, it can actually elevate the world's view of Christ instead of the churches. There is a YouTuber that I watch, and he does skits, and they're usually pretty funny, but he put out a, a recent one about putting up a Christmas tree and, and celebrating Christmas, and he's having a conversation with somebody, and the person he's having a conversation with doesn't understand Christmas at all. And he says, So why are you doing this? And he answers, Well, some religious figure was born uh, in this season, and so we do it to celebrate him. And his friend says, Well, is the religious figure still alive? Can I meet him? And he says, No, 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 he died 2,000 years ago. He says, But we, we still celebrate him? Yeah, for, for some reason, this is just what people do. And that's the world's view of Christmas. They don't care about Christ. They, don't, they, they may recognize that this is why we celebrate Christmas, but they don't recognize that Christ is not dead, that Christ is alive, that he rose again. And ultimately, Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ, but it points towards the resurrection. If Christ never rose from the dead, Christmas doesn't matter, church. It's just another birth of another baby. It is not Emmanuel, God with us, but it is. The world loves Christmas. Have you noticed that? It's not just a Christian holiday. The world loves Christmas, just as long as Jesus isn't a part of it, or very minimally a part of it. I was listening to a sermon last night from uh, Vodi Bauckham, and he drew, drew my attention to this concept of just how much the world loves Christmas. And he brought up the Guinness World Record of the most expensive Christmas Christmas tree ever put up. Valued at a little over eleven million dollars. Because it's decorated with jewelry and Rolex watches and everything but ornaments. It's it's material things that we want. Over eleven million dollars, and it was put up in the United Arab Emirates in Abu Dhabi. In case It hasn't set in. That's a Muslim country, a country where you cannot be a Christian, a country where celebrating Christmas for Christ could hold consequences for you. But Christmas is great just as long as Jesus isn't viewed as Emmanuel, just as long as Jesus isn't the biblical picture of who he is. As long as he isn't God. Which is why he needs to be replaced. And I talked to Pastor. He said I could throw him under the bus for this one. But I did talk to Pastor about this. Because I considered not talking about this next part. Because I wasn't sure if there would be any backlash to it. But again, backlash goes that way. Not not here. (laughs) But I hate Santa Claus and I'm not trying to ruin anything for anybody else but Santa is the world's Christ he has replaced Christ at Christmas he is the one who is with us at Christmas not just Christmas time church he is with us the whole year he is Santa with us he is omnipresent he is everywhere at once He sees you when you're sleeping, and he knows when you're awake. He's all-knowing. He knows when you've been bad or good, so he's also the final judge of all things. And every Christmas, the books are open on your life. The list he makes and checks it twice. And I might be being too harsh here, and I'm sure some people do. I I do enjoy the claymation, uh, Santa Claus is coming to town, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I don't see anything wrong with the stories and the, the lessons that it might teach and the enjoyment that children get out of it. But just consider this for just a moment, that Santa is the Emmanuel to the world. Because as soon as they grow out of it, As soon as you grow up and you realize that Santa is not real uh, or with us at all times, they don't have to be responsible for their sins anymore. They don't have to worry about if they've been good or bad, naughty or nice, because it doesn't exist. The judge doesn't exist. And so if Jesus is Emmanuel, if Jesus is indeed God with us, then even the adults have to come to the realization that they are eventually going to be judged. That there is a judge over them, and his name is Christ. And he does not declare anyone good unless they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ because of what he has done. In fact, you're all on the naughty list if you're not in Christ. So that's bad news for us. But Emmanuel, God with us, provides good news for us. Back in the time of Isaiah, Israel is being judged. But God himself gives them the sign, the Messiah is coming. You are my people, I love you, and I will provide a Savior for you. And this is not just a powerful leader that I'm going to send in to rescue you out of your trouble. But this is God. God with you. And I'm going to pay a ransom for you. We sing that for even the Son of Man, uh, or we, we read, and ransom captive Israel. And in the book of Mark, chapter 10, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If Christmas is just a time to put up beautiful decorations, and it is beautiful, (laughs) this is gorgeous, or buy gifts or bake cookies or fill up that, then we're missing the point, church. We're missing the actual reason for the season. We say, keep Christ in Christmas. What does that mean? Well, it means looking at Christ, who he is, what he has done, why he came. And for us today, we live in a fallen world, where is our hope? When we read ransom, when we read God with us, where is our hope? It's not in a dead man, but one who is alive and reigning on the throne in heaven, one who is God. We sing that, mourn the lonely exiles here until the Son of God appears. Well, church, God has appeared, and he has come in the person of Christ. And we actually have it better than the Israelites did, because they're looking forward to the Messiah, and Isaiah was written 700-ish years before Christ came. None of them saw the fulfillment of this prophecy. Now, there was a direct fulfillment that I believe, and commentators argue about that and to try and figure out who that was. We don't have time for that today, but the ultimate fulfillment of that passage, of that prophecy, was Christ, and the people of Israel at that time never got to see that. And while we didn't live back then, we have the revelation of God. We know that it was Christ, and we look back, and we celebrate that day. We celebrate the person and work of Christ Jesus who took our place. Not because, the, not because we're any less wicked than what was going on back in the time of Isaiah, and I would actually argue that because of technology and our access to things, we may even be more wicked today. But because we have Christ, because this prophecy has been fulfilled, it's not just Israel that has been ransomed, but all who put their trust in Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. If you are in Christ this morning, church, you have been ransomed. The debt has been paid in full. Your sins have been forgiven. Your names are not written on a naughty nice list that can fluctuate throughout the year. Your names are written in the book of life. You're on the nice list because of Christ, not because of you, Not because of your goodness, but because Christ is good, because Christ is holy, because Christ is perfect, because Christ is righteous, and that righteousness has been imputed to you. We can ask the question, why does any of this matter? I've heard it before. Well, if we look at Romans, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5 for just a moment, and we'll get the, the scope of how important this is and what this actually means. We read verse 12 of Romans chapter 5. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come." And then we jump down to verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So in other words, you're guilty. You're guilty in Adam. Westminster Shorter Catechism when addressing Adam says the covenant being made with Adam not only for himself but for his posterity all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression so if you have a biological mom and a biological dad and those two did what moms and dads do, and thus the result was you, you fall into this category. And by the way, that means all of you, just in case there was any confusion there. Jesus does not fall into this category, because Jesus did not come about through ordinary generation. If we look back at our Isaiah passage, verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He did not inherit Adam's sin. And therefore, he was not guilty of Adam's sin. And only Jesus could satisfy the wrath of God against sinful men. And it was God's plan that he would dwell here on earth as a man born of the woman born sinless born guiltless lived a sinless life in perfect submission to the father perfect obedience to the law treated as a criminal took upon himself the sins of the world died the death that you and i deserve And yet rose again, ascended to the Father, and is seated in glory at his right hand. So that all who call on the name of the Lord can be saved and will be saved. And it's only by understanding this, only by understanding that we are guilty before a holy and righteous God outside of Christ. And understanding what Christ had done at Christmas and at Easter only then can we sing the refrain of "O come, O come, Emmanuel" the way it's supposed to be sung by saying, "Rejoice, Church! Rejoice, Emmanuel! Rejoice! God is with us! Rejoice! God will never leave us! Rejoice, Church!" The only way we can have a true, have true joy at Christmas time is knowing the God who is not far off who has not created us, left us to our own devices, but that he is indeed with us and his spirit dwells within us. And when we are saved, when we look to Christ as Savior and understand that, then we actually get to experience one of the biggest problems people have with Christmas. And it's, I don't have the same people here as I did last year. There was loss. So-and-so is not at the table anymore. But we are adopted into a new family. We're adopted into the family of Christ. We are made children of God. And this was not because God had to do it, but he willingly, by his grace and by his mercy, made us His children. And before Christ ascended into heaven, he assured his disciples that he would be with them even to the end of the age. The disciples were getting ready to go be martyred, essentially. Within just a few years, many of them were killed. Tribulation came, Jerusalem was destroyed, the church suffered, and we will face hard times. We will face trials and tribulations. But do we believe in Emmanuel? Do we believe that Christ has promised to be with his people? That the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the very same spirit that dwells within all believers. He is our comforter. He is the one who is able to provide the peace that surpasses all understanding in this messy, this fallen, this sinful, and this wicked world. We have not been left alone. Until the Son of God appears, and indeed he has, and indeed he will again, he will come back. He is with us, and for us who are in Christ, we will be with him. Emmanuel is one of the essential doctrines of the faith. We can't push it out. We can't push out the virgin birth. We can't push out the miraculous conception of Christ. We cannot push away his sinless life, his guiltless life. Because if we do that, we push away the gospel. And there's no purpose for Christmas if we don't have the gospel. There's a a heresy that says that Jesus only appeared in the flesh, that he wasn't actually flesh, that it was only a, a manifestation or a trick that he appeared to be flesh. But again, if that were true, first of all, sitting here every week means nothing. We can all just enjoy our lives on Sundays and not have to worry about anything. But if it's true, and it is, then we are here for a purpose. We are here to worship a God who lives. We're here to worship a God who came in the flesh to take our sins and to be with us. We must have God with us not outside of creation in the sense that he just leaves us alone, but that we recognize he came, that he lived and he died, that we are made to be in relationship with him. The covenant of redemption that took place in eternity past, where the whole plan of salvation was put into motion. And joy, Jesus joyfully took on his role as the one who would enter into creation to die for sinners. God desires salvation for his people. And he grants it to all who call on the name of the Lord in faith and in grace. God gives us eternal life. We're not going to sing a Christmas song as our closing song today. We're going to sing an Easter song for our closing song today. Because we're looking forward Christ didn't stay a baby, he grew, and his life and his fulfillment of the law and living perfectly, and then his death and his resurrection and his ascension, what we place our hope in, that like Christ was raised, so we will be raised. So this Christmas, let me encourage you, look forward to Easter as well. On the YouTube video that I was watching where the YouTube person said, uh, no, he died 2,000 years ago. Looking at the comments, there were a lot of ones that you can expect, but there was one person, one single person, that said, man, if he makes an Easter video like this, this is going to come and bite him, because he's going to have to understand what Easter is actually about, and we cannot understand what Easter or Christmas is about unless they are brought together. The birth, the death, and resurrection of Christ all fit together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I do thank you that we have this understanding, that we have revelation from you that tells us who Emmanuel is, that He is Christ, that He is God with us, that He dwells in our in us through the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us to our sins, but Lord sent the perfect, sinless Savior to die in our place, that we might know salvation, eternal life, that we might stand before you, righteous and holy, because of what Christ has done. We thank you for all of this, and we pray that our worship going forward would be pleasing to you as we sing this next song. In Christ's name, amen.